This morning's scripture reading will be taken from Luke chapter 15, verses 17 through 24. That's Luke chapter 15, verses 17 through 24. If you're following along in the Pew Bibles, it will be on page 925. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, and he had compassion, and he ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be married. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. And if you're visiting, again, we welcome you. What an honor it is to have you. You encourage us by being here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. We do welcome the King family. It's wonderful uh, to have fellow brothers and sisters in Christ to worship and serve God together with. And we uh, welcome them and look forward to getting to know them better. How do you picture God? Now, there are many ways in which the Scriptures would inform us to picture God. But how would you picture God? Jeanette George tells a story, and it goes something like this. It was a short flight from Tucson to Phoenix. As I entered the plane, I saw a a mother. She was dressed very pretty, but sitting on her lap was a beautiful baby girl. It's obvious that they were dressed kind of alike. She had a bow in her hair, the little girl did, where one day she would have a full head of hair. But now she was just a baby in a white pinafore. And every man that passed by, she would say, Dada? Dada? And the mother would explain, Oh, no. Dada's going to be at the next airport. We'll be there soon. Those sitting around loved the sight of this beautiful little girl. But as they took off, it was a very turbulent flight. As a matter of fact, the attendants were never allowed to even walk the aisles. During this flight, the mother, each time the baby would be in fear, would continue to offer her orange juice and fruit. This continued for quite some time, and as the flight grew even rougher, eventually everything that went down came up, and even more. The floor was covered, the baby was covered, the mother was covered, and several passengers sitting around was covered. As a matter of fact, Jeanette said, as I looked down at the sleeve of my suit, I was thinking to myself, do I get it cleaned or do I throw it away? She said, I even thought, have you ever been around something that you wanted away from you so much, but you realized it was you that you wanted away? As they arrived at the airport, the passengers had all done their best to help the mother clean up the baby. They'd offered napkins and tissue and etc. 
Jeanette says, as, as we arrived, I walked through the airport and I saw a man in a white dress shirt, clean pressed slacks. He had flowers in his hands. He was looking for his girls. I thought to myself, oh, you'll run toward them until you see what they look like. And then you'll just continue running. She said, what I saw there taught me a lesson I'll never forget. He ran toward them. He handed the flowers to the wife and gave her a kiss. And he looked at that baby that was a mess. Stinking mess. And he took that little girl and he hugged her up so close. And the mother excused herself and went into the restroom to try to clean up a bit. And Jeanette says, I followed behind them all the way down to pick up the luggage. And that man never stopped kissing his baby girl. She says, it was then I thought, if a man can love his children that much, how much more can the Heavenly Father love us? We're studying one of the most beautiful chapters that's ever been written. And there are many phrases in there that are so beautiful. It's hard to say that one stands out above the other. But perhaps if there was one that would stand out on at least a top ten list, it would have to be the phrase that describes this filthy, wretched son accepting from his father kisses. And he kissed him. What would cause a father to do that? As we think about this this morning, I would like for you to think about the fact that as we've studied the last few weeks this beautiful chapter, we've looked at the fact of the one that was lost and how they were so valuable and they're worth it for us to leave all and and to search for the one. We've looked also in this chapter of the far country, how it might be closer than what we think, and the destruction there is so terrible, we ought to want to avoid it. But it would be a great neglect if we left the study of this chapter without looking at the Father. Because it's here we have a beautiful glimpse of the Father, of all the ways that God would want us to see Him. One of the ways that He wants us to see Him is that He wants us to see Him as that loving Father that's running out to accept us and to bring us and welcome us back home. As we think about this, I'd like for you to think about who is this Father? Has it dawned on you as we study this that just as last week we studied about the suffering Son as He was away in a far country, that we also in fact study about a suffering Father? Who is it that suffers the most whenever a child suffers? I would suggest to you that any parent would argue that the parent suffers more than the child that is suffering because it breaks the heart of any loving parent to see their child suffer. For us to see our child neglected, it hurts us as if we were neglected. For us to see our child abused, it would hurt us as if we were abused. For us to see someone cast an oversight or a mistreatment to our child, perhaps inflicts even upon us the greater pain. Look and be reminded of these descriptions as we look in verse 14. The son, remember, he was in want. Look in verse 16. He looked at the pods that he was feeding the swine and he was so hungry 
that he wanted to eat of those very same pods. And notice the end of 16, the neglect of all those around when he tells us that there was no one who gave him anything. Can you imagine the father looking at a distance thinking, why doesn't someone help my son? And then finally in 17 where the son describes his condition by simply saying, I'm perishing. In other words, I'm dying here. Just as the son was suffering all of these things, think of the suffering that the father was enduring. Now the question, maybe he didn't know about that. Maybe the son in that far country was experiencing these things, and maybe the father's comfort was in the fact he didn't know all of the things. Now I remind you of something just by common sense, but then I'll remind you something that's much more important doctrinally. But common sense, reputation had already returned. You see, the brother even knew how his money was being used out in that foreign land. But there's something much greater than just the reputation that had traveled through the grapevine. And that is the reality. We have a heavenly Father that He knows all and He sees all. If you will, go with me quickly to Proverbs, the fifth chapter. And let's look at one verse out of Proverbs, the fifth chapter, in verse 21. Think about the father seeing his son as we read Proverbs 5 and 21. For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord. He ponders all of his past. You see, everywhere that was the way of that prodigal son, the father's eyes were upon him and he ponders. The idea of ponders is to be mentally weighted down. The father is seeing all of the ways of this sinful son and he's pondering, why would my son do that? Why would my son not come home? Why does he not realize what I have to offer and what the world is giving him? Seeing the same thing, just to see it again, look in Proverbs 31 and verse 4. In Proverbs 31 and verse 4, this is another description of the father. Does he not see my ways and count all of my steps? Think about that for a moment. Who is the heavenly father? He's the one that when you and I go to the most secret places, he sees every step we make. What if someone told you this morning everything that you did before you came here? You think, wow, how did they know that? Not only they told you everything they did, but what if they told you more than what you even knew? In other words, you know that maybe you left the bedroom and walked to the breakfast table. But what if they could tell you that not only you did that, but it was exactly 26 steps you took? What if they begin to tell you things that you actually had forgotten that you did them, but yet when they said it, you were like, I did do that this morning. Friends, do you realize that God knows more about what you and I have done today and last week than what we would even recall? And He could even give us details of every step along the way that that we might not even recognize those steps. What's the point? If we're really going to appreciate this story, we see the suffering son, we have to realize that the father suffered all along the way. He pondered in his mind every step that the son took. Why would he do this? Longing for him to come home. Second Peter, the third chapter in verse 9. I just want to mention one phrase out of Second Peter 3 and 9. The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Friends, that's the heart of our suffering father. The heart that says, I want everyone to come home. Now, 
that was somewhat an introduction to get us to this point in this lesson. That suffering son created a suffering father. And now that son decides to come home. And the question now is, what will be the reaction of that father? Look again in the 20th verse of the 15th chapter. I know we've read it. I know you probably know what it says, but I would like for you this time when we read it to try to picture this. I want you to picture a son that is probably in filthy rags. A son that no doubt probably at this time smelt more like swine than he did like a person. A son that no doubt had created conflict in the reputation of that family. A son that probably several neighbors had said, I tell you what, if that was my boy that took my money, I tell you what I'd do with him. This son's walking back. And I suggest to you that it's not just what happens between them two, but because Jesus told this story so that it could be retold millions of times. It's as if an audience is standing around and God is saying, I want everybody to understand what kind of father I am. So here's this son standing there, or at least slowly walking back to the father. And let's read verse 20 again. He arose and he came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Now what do we learn about the father from this? You see the word he saw him? We see there the father's eyes. You see he had compassion? There we learn about the father's heart. Do you see that when he saw him and with compassion, he ran to him? We learn there something about the father's feet. And then what about his arms as he embraced his son and fell upon his neck? And what about the father's lips as he kissed him? You see, what we see here is we see eyes that aren't icy cold saying, if I ever see my son face to face again, this is what I have for him. No, we see eyes that are compassionate. We see eyes full of love. We see eyes that are just waiting for any minute for that son to return. It's a heart that is full of compassion that says, I feel your pain. And he literally had. The son had been out suffering in the world and the father had seen that suffering. And so he has a heart that naturally had felt that pain. And then what kind of feet do we have? We have here feet that run to, not away. Feet that long to be close, not to be far from. And then those arms. Those arms that embrace. There's nothing quite like touch. You just can't replace touch with anything. So it's not a father that stops at an arm's distance and points. It's a father that runs all the way into a full embrace, laying his head upon his shoulder. And then, the kiss. 
I know in probably most of the translations that you're reading out of this morning probably says, and he kissed him. From the Greek, the definition there of of kiss is to kiss earnestly. That's why there are a few translations that says he kissed him much. That's why almost any scholar would agree that the idea here is not that he ran up and, and as we would say, even though it would be a wonderful picture if he ran up and embraced him and, and he pecked him on the cheek, that would be a beautiful sight. I'm simply saying to you, that's not the way the Greek text, that's not the picture that's painted here. It's a strong embrace with an earnest kiss. In other words, it's much kissing. I believe that the story that Jesus is trying to tell us is, if you watch, you're going to see a long embrace and you're going to see several kisses. Why? What is it about this story that the Father wants us to know about Him, about the way He welcomes back the sinner? He says, I want the sinner to see that I have many kisses for him. What could these kisses represent? First, I'd offer to you that much kisses represents much love. You see, it's not just a perceived love, it's a felt love. Do you realize that God truly feels love for us? He's not just an intellectual being that says, it's my duty to love mankind. And so put your name in the blank. I love them. Just because I'm supposed to. He's the father that would run the distance to strongly embrace you, to kiss you over and over because he loves you that much. A father or mother that has a son that has been away at war for months or years. You watch them embrace after that separation and you watch them exchange that long embrace and you watch that father, that mother kiss the son. Would you think that that's some kind of put on? They just did that because they're parent and child and they knew people were watching and that's the way it was supposed to be. No. It's genuine. It's not a Judas kiss. Insincere, betrayal put on, symbolic of something else. Friends, when the Father kisses, it's genuine love that is being expressed. But it also is love being perceived. In other words, can you imagine the servants that must have stood around and watched that occasion? Can you imagine how maybe even some of the neighbors wondered, I wonder what the Father is going to do if He ever decides to come home. Do you realize that at this moment that we see the Father's reaction... And then after this, we see the gifts being given. Do you realize after that, the only insight that we're given to the rest of the day, other than the older brother's conflict, do you realize the rest of the insight is just that there was a great feast that took place? Someone might say, why didn't he give more details to the great feast? He didn't have to. We know everything we need to know just by watching the father's reaction because if you're one of the servants, if you're one of the neighbors, and you see the father's reaction of great love, Are you then going to wonder, huh, I wonder how I should react with this son. You see, when we see that great love that was perceived, no doubt, by even those that were standing around and watching, but also 
I would offer to you this morning that much kisses also represents much forgiveness. This young man had many sin in his life. He'd gone against the will of his father. He'd left home. He'd been a poor steward with the possessions and the very life that he had. He had much sin. Now what's the father doing here? This is at this very moment the time that they're working out their differences. This is the very moment where the son is going to ask to be forgiven and it's almost as if the father is laying the groundwork to say by his actions, you know I'll forgive you. Isn't it wonderful to think that in the rest of this story, the father doesn't once bring up the sin? I'm not suggesting to you that the father's not concerned with sin, but I need to hear this loud and clear. When I repent of sin and I come back to the Father, all He wants to do is forgive and move forward. As a matter of fact, not only does the Father say, I want to forgive, the Father says, I want to forget. In Hebrews the 8th chapter, He says, I'll forget, I will remember your sins no more. In Psalms, the psalmist said, that I will treat your transgressions just as far as the east is from the west. In other words, I'll separate from them. Friends, I need to remember that it's not God the Father that wants you and I to stall out in waist deep of past regrets and guilt. It's the Heavenly Father that says, I want you to come home and I want to forgive you. What a beautiful, beautiful thought. But also, much kisses means full restitution. Think about it. He came home to be a hired servant. I'm not worthy to be called a son anymore. And then he was thinking about how great the hired servants had it at his father's house. I'll go back home to be a hired servant. But when you think about it, the entire time... The discussion was about my son. You see, all of his privileges were restored. Also, we see that much kisses means much joy. Now, I know we've tucked this in the middle of a long list here, but I want to remind you of something we mentioned two weeks ago. I do believe that it's appropriate to look at this chapter that's one parable and three stories and talk about that it's a parable about the one being lost. I'm not going to suggest to you that that's not true, that certainly the emphasis was on there was a sheep that was lost. There was a coin that was lost. There was a son that was lost. But friends, if you want to look and see where the most verses are written about one particular topic, we're going to have to say that this is a chapter about joy. Four verses tell the story of the lost sheep. One verse is about the lost sheep. Three verses are about the joy that's experienced when that lost sheep are found. A few verses tell about the lost coin, but more verses tell about the joy that was experienced when the lost coin was found. When the son comes home, what's the entire emphasis? From the time he sees him from a long distance off, 
The entire emphasis is upon the fact of this father that is so happy, he's so joyous that the son is returning, that every movement he makes echoes that joy. And every command that he gives to servants is to talk about that joy. And even when the elder brother doesn't want to receive him, his his correction is not just you ought to receive him, but his correction is you ought to be merry. Something's wrong when we do not see the joy of being home with the Father. And here, we see much kisses because there's much joy. Any of you that are parents of toddlers, you can remember those days of parents of toddlers, do you remember those little games you played where you kissed much? Where you'd start on the side of their face and you mm, you go all the way around. And you remember they would giggle and you would giggle. It's just happiness. It's joy. It's just the way it ought to be. Father... How do you want us to picture you as the heavenly Father? Say, I want you to see how happy I am to be around you. I want you to see the joy that it brings for us to be together. Let's mention a few other ones very quickly. Much kissing also means much comfort. Think of the broken heart that this young man had as now he's willing to come back to the father and he realizes he's done so much against the family. He's hurt the father so deeply. Think how comforting it was for the father to come running to him, not to scold him, but the father to come running to him, to embrace him and to kiss him. Those kisses alone would have been great comfort. You see, now he's no longer worried about the past, but now he's pressing on forward to the future. But also... Also, we see it would have been much reassurance. You see, as he came back, there was that thought running through his mind. Father may not take me back as a son. I may have to come back as a servant. And no doubt it would have been going through his mind. What if he won't take me back as a servant? But you see, all of that was alleviated with that welcome. The much kisses were telling him, no doubt. You're my son, and you're home. Verse 27 would have that phrase that many of us use on a day-to-day basis, safe and sound. You see, that's where we get that phrase, safe and sound. To describe that son, the assurance, you're right where you need to be. And then finally this morning, notice, a close communion, intimate. Tight, just the way it ought to be. The father's not saying, listen, you've, you've hurt me and you've hurt the family, and I'm sure over time we can work this back, that we can work this out. Immediately he's falling on his neck. Immediately the kisses are saying closeness. Let's think about it. If a stranger ran up to you this morning and they hugged you close and they begin to kiss you much, you'd say, Whoa, I'm uncomfortable with that. You kind of violated that comfort zone there. You've come to my personal space. I don't know about this. Can you back off a little bit? What is it that 
that says we're close more than long embrace. And this father, what is he saying? Imagine the feast. Is the son going to go get cleaned up and as he's cleaning up, think, oh me, I hate that they're having a feast tonight because when I walk in, everybody's going to be so cold to me. I'm going to feel so guilty. No, that's not going to be the problem at all because the father's already set the stage. The father has already made it clear we're in close communion again. Friends, sin very quickly sends us to the far country. But isn't it awesome to know that we have a Father that just as quickly says, you start walking back, humility and repentance. And if you'll walk a few steps, I'll run the long distance. How do you picture the Father? Please picture this. Other passages tell us that the Father is on a throne, high and lifted up. What would move the Father off the throne and run across a distance? A sinner coming home sends the King running. God loves us. I don't know if you and I have paused lately and thought about that. But what a blessing. God loves us. And when we come home, He just wants to prove that love again by saying, I'll embrace you closely, tightly. I'm glad you're home. If you need to come home this morning, remember that Father. That will meet you. And He'll embrace you. If you've never been baptized into Christ, or if you have it straight away, won't you come home this morning as we stand?